Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We are here every day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon. Tell all your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies, all right? You can join us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports, broadcasting, streaming live every day. Or go to Facebook slash Chatterbox Sports. We got lots happening here at Chatterbox Sports. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. Uh, on social media, we can be found at Tom Brenneman TV. That's Tom Brenneman TV on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Check it out. We have lots of clips from some of our guests during the day. And we are available in podcast form. You don't have to listen to it or you don't have to watch it. You can listen to it. And wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, right on down the line, it will be there. We thank all of you for our increasing numbers daily. It's been amazing. And it's all thanks to you. All right, here we go. The Red season is over, thankfully. Yes, cheering from the peanut gallery, Casey McAllister and Brandon Seho. It has been a long, long year. For just a second time in over 140 years of baseball in Cincinnati, the franchise lost 100 games. And really, it ended much like the way it began. Just brutal. 15-2, they lose yesterday to the Cubs, adding further insult to injury. They finish in last place in the National League's Central Division due to a tiebreaker with Pittsburgh. So, lots of work to do for the home team. We'll be joined by Bobby Nightingale, beat writer from Cincinnati.com and the Cincinnati Inquirer, coming up at about 10.30 to talk about what's next. The baseball playoffs are set to begin tomorrow in the American League. Tampa Bay goes to Cleveland. All of these are best of three series. Seattle will visit Toronto. And it looks like Luis Castillo will start that game for the Mariners. Remember him? In the National League, you have Philadelphia at St. Louis. And then you have San Diego at the New York Mets. The top seeds are out. The top two seeds are out for this opening round. One final baseball note. Mike Matheny was fired yesterday as manager of the Kansas City Royals. KC lost 97 games this year. Football news. Thursday night, a clunker. Let's be honest about it. I love Thursday night football. But tonight you got Indianapolis against Denver. Now I know they're both 2-2. Two and two. But many believe the Broncos would be a contender with Russell Wilson, a quarterback. And maybe they will. But right now, their offense stinks. The defense is lights out. So who knows? That is tonight on Amazon, if you haven't. The Bengals are back at it today, getting ready for Sunday night's AFC North Clash in Baltimore. As you know, a three-way tie atop the AFC North with the Bengals, the Ravens, and the Brownies all at 2-2. Two and two. Cleveland will host the L.A. Chargers Sunday at 1 o'clock. And coming up in a matter of moments will be James Rapine from Sports Illustrated to talk about the game. Before we get to James Rapine, there was a note on Twitter yesterday, boys, 
which I shared with you guys because Casey is acting like, Brandon, you're not. Casey is acting like this is going to be a walk in the park for the Bengals on Sunday night. At least from what we've heard the last couple of days. Brandon, would you say that's a fair assessment? What, that Casey thinks it's going to be a walk in the park? Yes. Yes. Okay. The Baltimore Ravens this year. Okay, now look, we've talked about this. You could see right now the Bengals being 4-0. I'd say more like 3-1. I think they got beaten Dallas, but they should have beaten the Steelers. So they should be 3-1. You can make a serious argument that the Baltimore Ravens could be 4-0. And here's the note I read yesterday. I wish I could give the guy credit, but I don't have it anymore. The Baltimore Ravens this season, in the second half of their losses to Miami and Buffalo, they have trailed in the second half of those two losses by a total of 14 seconds. Think about that for a minute. It's wild. When you talk about any sport being a game of inches, all those cliches, or, you know, every second counts, right? And you don't know if that's, if that's going to happen in the last two seconds of a game, the last single second of a game, as it was with Baltimore and Buffalo, field goal goes through as it goes down to zero. It could happen in the first quarter where, you know, maybe you're running out of bounds. You don't get to the first down line. You got a punt. Other team scores. You never know. Casey, your assessment of that note, that's a pretty impressive note. It sounds like they can't close games. That's what well, it sounds like. And that's me. what uh, Ingraven Vids shared with us the other day. Delightful man who covers the Baltimore Ravens. But think about that. Two losses. 14 seconds. Yeah. They trail. The Dolphins game, they should have never lost. But, I mean, give credit to Tua. That's right. And those playmakers, that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And we were uh, bottling up Tua most of that game. So, you know. No, I mean, what's your reaction? Because you, you basically have made it sound like for three days this week that the Bengals are going to go in there and steamroll Baltimore. Yeah, the more and more we talk about it, the more I'm starting to feel more confident about it. They're going to get their mojo, and they're going to handle business. <laughs> Look at Casey and, uh, just rolling and, here. Listen, listen, it could be a lot like the first game of last year where You think close. this is going to turn into a massacre? No, no, not the second game. The first game. Well, the, the first game. The first game, they, 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 they won like... Mad. They outscored them 82 to 38 but in it, two games. But it wasn't like that. Uh, well, like the, the first, second game when they had 500 yards of yeah, offense and yeah. all that kind of... Yeah. So, like, the first game, it was up until, like, the third... Almost the end of the third quarter before they really started, you know, expanding their lead. Um, this year, I feel like it could be very similar, but... I just the the one thing that will determine this game is Lamar, and Lamar has shown time and time again that his number is called in the fourth quarter and he can't get it done. That's true. So cannot argue with that, and it's the one thing they don't want to talk about. I don't know why people don't want to talk about this, and this is what I you know we get into on this show all the time. This is not a show. If you're a fantasy league guy. Okay, like every Monday we put up top performers. Unless something is just completely crazy. I mean, just stupid, right? Mm -hmm. If a team loses, we're not putting up those numbers. We're not going to do it. 
because you either win or you lose. And I don't care about the numbers. We talked about this in reference to Jimmy Garoppolo. Are his numbers week in and week out like some of the quote-unquote elite quarterbacks in the NFL? And I'm not a huge Garoppolo guy, but I do give the guy credit. He wins games. His winning percentage is among the top five all time as a starting quarterback in the NFL. But for some reason, people don't want to talk about Lamar Jackson uh, not being able, as you say, to close games late. And close games doesn't mean he has to run for 150 yards or score touchdowns all the time. I think it's safe to say that in the second half of both games, most recently Buffalo and the game against Miami, a single field goal at some point in time or another, getting your team even extending a drive, right? Getting another first down, another two and a half minutes go off the clock, and he ain't getting it done. Yeah, and well, I would like to also just say that, you know, early on in his career, he was able to do it consistently. They had a much better team. This year, he has too much on his back, and it's not a fault to Lamar. Lamar's a great player. Yeah. I just think it's too much pressure. He's literally got to carry this offense or else. That's literally the bottom line here. And the defense is worse. Um, I mean, I I just think that this is a perfect setup for the Bengals. We have a better team than them. We have – what, you didn't like that? You know? No, 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 no. You just used – it's funny hearing you say the we thing. Well, That's what this show is. It's, I, what, yeah. it's clearly what it's turned into, and it goes back to prior to week one. I'm convinced with all this nonsense and this uh, this savage mode stuff, you know, and you can flip it around on the other side. Us singing Cincinnati. I know, Bengals, I know. We had fun. It was the for first fun. game of the year was pathetic. I, I'm embarrassed by it. I hope oh, that video never surfaces I will. Again. I will say this. I do those Madden Wednesdays down yes. at the Hard Rock Casino. Last yes. night, Bengals get the victory 20-13. to 13. These games have been wow. not exactly spot-on score-wise, but situational-wise have been. Burrow had a pick early in the game. They were down 10 to nothing right out of the gate. Come back, big second half to win. It kind of matches what the Bengals' M.O. is. Slow start, recover in the second half, find a way to win. And that, that's my last thing, too. You bring up a really good point. We've been a second-half team for a long time. So it just it makes sense. The Ravens struggle to close games. We do much better come second half. We, we. make the – The I Bengals. A French word for yes. I say we as in me and the team. Okay. I, know, I, I associate I know what you're myself saying. with the team. You guys, you don't have to associate yourself. No, no. With the team, I mean, though. I root for the Bengals. Just when you work in the business, you never say we. Well, you know what? He's allowed. This show's different. Than well, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the legacy media, so to speak, mainstream. I'm media, just used to the old stuff. Um, okay. James Rapine doesn't say we. James Rapine joining us. Feels like it's been a while since we've seen James. It was early in the week last week, and then uh, the Bengals. They get that win on Thursday night. Now they've had a little bit of extra time. James, thanks for being with us on the show, as always. Uh, hope you're doing well, rested up, ready to go. Had a weekend off, I hope, to have a little fun, maybe. Yeah, got, got to, to take a breather, you know, much like the team did. Or, or since you guys are saying we, much like you guys. Don't say we, don't say you guys. Well. <laughs> don't, the team and don't, Casey. Don't. That's Team Casey. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I'll throw Brandon in there too. I think uh, that's what we got. You know uh, what? I yeah. agree with you, James, a thousand percent. At the end of the day, he is Sorry, a wee Brandon. guy. It's okay. And James Rapine from Cincinnati, Ohio is not a wee guy either. Totally not a homer. Nope. 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 nope I'm not. <laughs> All right, James, I got to ask you, you've proven on the show you're not, and we're grateful for it because there has to be some kind of balance in this show. Um, I want to ask you about the the Mixon thing. It was a story early in the week, calls together the offensive line, um, the offensive staff. I know Mixon has done this before. This is not the first time it's happened. But from what you've been able to gather, the most recent version of this, what are your thoughts on it? I like it. I, I think it's it can be beneficial. Look, Joe Mixon is not playing well right now. And so, first off, the fact that he was at his locker and answered questions for about 17 minutes or so is a testament to him and, and the fact that he's willing to do that because I'm sure he knew what the conversations were uh, about him and about the way this run game is going. But the fact that he called the meeting and you talk to other players uh, that were involved in that meeting, some of the offensive linemen, and it wasn't just the starters – there's no finger pointing. And I think that's big when things aren't going right. It, usually someone points a finger on, on average teams or teams that expect to be really good but are underachieving early. And then that can cause a ripple effect. That can cause a divide. And I just, I don't sense that at all, which to me is a good sign because maybe Joe Mixon fell off and hit a wall at 26 years old after all these carries because he's an old 26 for a running back. Or maybe that ankle's a little worse than he let on. Maybe he's still getting adjusted to, to life with this offensive line. And like he said, you know, back in 2019, his second half of the year was much better than the first half. They can't wait until the second half of the season to get this ground game going. Uh, but, but maybe, you know, that meeting leads to, to more success. So I, I think that meeting could be beneficial and might be beneficial. Didn't really see the fruits of that. Uh, against Miami. The, the meeting obviously happened Wednesday. They played Miami Thursday. So we'll see if they can get things going a little bit more against a, a tough Baltimore front this week. From what you've been able to gather in watching game film, uh, and, and, and you bring up an interesting point that's been debated on on talk radio this week. Uh, heard Dave Lapham talking about it last night and you know asked the question that you just pointed out, could Mixon be starting to slow down? Uh, you know, the rest of us look at 26 and we think, boy, it'd be fun to be 26 again. But we know the history of, uh, of NFL running backs, and we've seen that with Ezekiel yeah. Elliott more than anybody else that I can think of in recent memory and perhaps losing a step, whatever it might be. But back to the game film, are, are you seeing holes opening up that Mixon is missing? Yeah. Yes. The short answer is yes, and we can get into to a little bit of detail. For example, uh, the the Jets, is it the Jets or the Dolphins? It was the Dolphins, I believe. But he's running through. The, they bleed together. I count those two games as one game, even though they yeah. were two. Um, it, there, there was a, a hole there, and he's running. It was behind the right guard and right tackle, I believe. And there's a hole, and he just trips over feet in the hole. It's not like someone dove at his feet. It's not like anything like that. He just trips and no one tackles him. And instead of a eight to 10 yard gain and he's one-on-one -on -one with the safety. In fact, now that I, I think about the safety, it was number eight. It was, uh, this was the Jets. And instead of that, one-on-one -on -one with the safety, he trips, falls, and that's it. And so those are the type of plays that they're not hitting right now. And so it's a two yard gain and he's averaging 2.7 a carry. 
And at worst, that's a six, eight, 10 yard gain where he's running through the safety. Maybe the safety tackles him, but he's running through the safety's face. The defense feels him and the Bengals are close to a first down, if not having a first down. Or maybe he makes the safety miss and he's off to the races. So those are just, you know, there are multiple plays like that. I, I think back to, I think it was week two against the Cowboys and Jamar Chase does enough to, to block uh, the defensive back, just enough to give Mixon a running lane. And Mixon essentially runs right into the defensive back. And so I, I just think there are tendencies, there are little things that, that he's normally would do that, that he hasn't done. So some of this is, is on Joe, regardless if it's health, if it's just the way he's seeing things uh, or not. But I, I think some of it's fixable. The, the thing that scares me is the, oh, well, you didn't get your feet up across the line there. Like, what is that? You know, it, it just it doesn't look like he has the same burst. So we'll see. Maybe it's just the ankle uh, or maybe it's more than that. And, and hopefully it is the ankle and he's, uh, you know, fully rested and, and feels much better after that quick turnaround on in week four on Thursday night. Well, we're about to find out because, look, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't take a, a, an enormous football IQ to look around the league at teams that are forced to almost exclusively have to throw the ball. I mean, look no further than last Sunday night. I know they fell behind talking about Tampa Bay, but we made reference to this the week before when Buffalo lost. You start slinging the ball around 45, 48, 50-plus times a game – more times than not, your team is going to lose. So in, in, in this week's game against Baltimore, uh, you talked about their defense. Uh, and we've had you know people on the show this week from Baltimore talking about their strengths and weaknesses. This doesn't appear to be a vintage sort of Baltimore defense, but still pretty solid. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a solid group. And I, I think that they may have to throw it 50 times. This might be that type of game because Baltimore is pretty good at stopping the run and they've been beaten through the air this year. And one reason they signed Jason Pierre-Paul is because they weren't getting enough pressure and they wanted to uh, find some more edge help. And so they have Clyde Campbell, who's certainly as good as it comes, even though he's uh, getting a little uh, a little older now and, um, you know, 6'8", someone that they can move outside, move inside. So that's the guy to keep an eye on as far as uh, their defensive line goes. But They've been good against the run, and they've been beaten with the pass. And whether it was Tua Tungavailoa throwing six touchdowns against them in week two, uh, whether it was last week blowing a, a twenty to three lead, which is easy to do against the Buffalo Bills, I, I you know I think that's as much on their offense as anything. But yeah, this Baltimore Ravens secondary to me looks beatable, even though you're looking at it and there's some. There's some big names, right? They signed Williams this offseason. You have Marlon Humphrey on one side. Marcus Peters is back. And he didn't practice yesterday. We'll see if he plays this week. I think he will. But there's some big names in that secondary. And so the, the Bengals are going to have to exploit them the same way that other teams have up to this point. What about uh, the Bengals on defense? We know all about Lamar Jackson. We could talk on and on and on and on about Ooh. what he's capable of doing. Um, unique, to say the least. Uh, but they don't have a stable of what you would consider to be you know, top-shelf wide receivers. They've had some guys nicked up along the way. Uh, I saw where they went out and signed. Why am I drawing a blank? Uh, Isabella, I think, to bring in. Andy Isabella. I don't know if he'll yep. play this week or not. Um, but their running back room was just decimated last year. They've got guys coming back. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is not quite there. Um, 
I would suspect this has a chance to be, again, a very good week for the Cincinnati Bengals defense. What are your thoughts? There's certainly a chance, and it, it, it's, it begins and ends with Lamar as you started that. I mean, he's their weapon. You know, Mark Andrews is really, really good, but it's Lamar. Can you contain Lamar? Can you prevent him from extending plays and pushing the ball deep downfield? And that was the, the big takeaway from Wednesday is from Zach Taylor to Chidobe Awuzie, even Joe Burrow, all praising Lamar Jackson, the thrower not necessarily the runner and the athlete, which we know how special he is with the ball in his hands. But, um, yeah, that, that's the part of it. I think the Bengals, that you just contain the big plays and, and find ways to, to make Lamar either get rid of the ball or, or make him uncomfortable, which is really, really hard to do because it's, it's hard to make that dude uh, uncomfortable. But, yeah, I mean, you look at their wide receivers, and this was something I was critical of. It's a weapons league, Tom. Rashad Bateman goes down and you're rolling out Devin DuVernay, who I liked pre-draft, but you know, he's, you know, a, a day two pick out of Texas and he's not scaring the defenses. He's capable of making plays, but he's not scaring defenses, Mark Andrews. And then it's just like, who else is going to beat you through mm-hmm. the air? And so <clears throat> when I, I look at this Bengals secondary and yeah, I expect them to handle business against this group. And it's just a matter of, can the Bengals contain Lamar Jackson? Can they keep him in the pocket and not let him go off script? Because if he goes off script, he can find anyone deep downfield. And defensive backs can only stay with receivers, any receiver, for so long before they get open. So I think that's a huge key for this defense this week. Injury front, how are the Bengals looking? Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, I think T. Higgins is going to suit up, was limited yesterday. Uh, Devin Asiasi, we'll see. He, he missed practice on Wednesday. But outside of that, Lel Collins, they gave him a, a rest day on Wednesdays, and that's going to be kind of the norm moving forward, which I think is the right call. Look, yeah. he, he looks like he's battling a back issue. Like he's just – he's not bending right. He looks really stiff, and, and I think that's why he struggled up to this point for his standards. He's not playing up to that level that you know everyone was expecting him to play at when they signed him. So why not get him as much rest as possible so he can be as, as close to 100% on game day. So I like the decision there. Uh, other guys that popped up on the injury report, uh, Evan McPherson with a groin, Hayden Hurst with a groin, they were both limited. I think it's more of a let's play it safe with these two than anything. So I expect them to play as well. The, the one big loss this week, I think, and, and we're going to feel it more this week and see it more this week, is the Bengals not having DJ Reader mm-hmm. against a run-first Baltimore team. It's different when you don't have him against Miami when they like to throw it anyways. This, uh, this game, this is going to be one where you really miss number 98. Yeah, and, and we talked about that even before the Miami game. What a big hit, and you pointed out uh, what a leader he is. Not only a leader, but just an outstanding player. I mean, he's a Pro Bowl caliber player and has been for a long, long time in this league, even before he came to the Bengals. Um, you in the prediction business? You know, before we get to that, anything from the peanut gallery for James Rapine? All right, Casey, please. Because, uh, James, you may not know this, but Casey thinks this is another walk in the park for the Bengals. Wow. That's what it's been the last three days. So, there you I, go. I do think it's going to be somewhat of a walk in the park. But, so, you just but, admitted it. <laughs> somewhat. All right. Somewhat. Oh, it's my not, goodness. Okay. I know. Believe me, not, I'm embarrassed by it every day, James. Go ahead, Casey. It's walk not. In the park. 
I, I said it's going to be exactly as they, like... At the same time, they take they take a sip of water both waiting for what you're going to say. <laughs> I just said it's going to be a lot like last year's week one battle, where it's going to be close up until like the third end of the third quarter. Then we're going to break it away, and it's going to look like a blowout. That's... I'm calling it right now. Ooh. I'm calling my number right here. But I actually want to talk to you about something that's behind you. I love those masks of the Power Rangers there. I love the, oh. the, the Tommy Red Power Ranger there and the Green Ranger in the back. I don't know. Do I see that? Oh, the Green Ranger's gone. There's a blue, too. There's a blue. It's low. I don't know if you can. I got to tell oh, you, I though, James, the one thing I've been wanting to ask you about is not so much the Power Rangers. I, I, I want to ask you about that Will Smith thing back there. What's wrong with Will Smith? Well, well we could talk to Chris Rock about that. But I mean, I mean, come on. It's a grown it's just, man walking up right there in front of the world to see and, and slaps a guy. I hear the book, by the way, though, is very good. I, I've had a couple yes. of friends in my neighborhood that tell me it's a fabulous book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, there was one moment, right? And, and I, yeah, I wouldn't have. Oh, I know all about him. Trust Will me. Smith. I know all about him. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have advised Will Smith to smack Chris Rock either. But, um, all of the the good I think he's done yeah. um, outside of that. I mean, yeah, whatever. You know, but yeah, after that happened, there was a, a lot of comments on my, on my videos and stuff about the Will Smith book. And I'm like, I bet. I whatever, bet. man. Now, what's what's the lid you a, got back there? What's a hat back there next to uh, – what's the book in between, right first of all? Let's start with the, the – uh, what's the book next to the Will Smith book there? What is that? Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, yeah, great book. Great book. Okay. And what's the hat? And then – so I actually spoke at my high school this week at St. Bernard Elmwood Place. At my, nice. And, uh, and so, they, yeah, we, uh, they, they hooked me up with a little gear here. So I had to put it in the backdrop. Oh, you so, definitely yeah. got to have the high school alma mater. I just had my 40th high school reunion two weeks ago. God, you're old. Well, 40th. Hey, I was feeling old because the, I was talking to juniors and seniors, and I did the math, and I'm like, you guys were like potty training when I was last Ooh. in high school. You know, That's so right. it's, been, it's been about 13 It'll be 13 years, uh, you know, uh, or it's, yeah, it's been 13 years since I got that, 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 That's a, a subtle shot by James. You know, no, Tony, well, here, I don't know him well enough yet for that kind of shot. Someone's taking a <laughs> shot. I mean, that, that, that's, real, that's, that's borderline bullshit. Someone's taking I mean, a, I mean, come on. Someone's taking a shot at James in our group chat here on the YouTube chat. James grew up a Browns fan. He even left Cincinnati to cover the Browns, but they must have fired him because he came back and now he's a hardcore Bengals fan. I love when people try to figure out the stories of us and, and really don't know. All right. All right. All wow. Right. Uh, can I, I – I got to address that. Though. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. That's why I read it. That, that's about as accurate as an Achilles Smith pass. Um, oh, and by boy. the way, I, I was in Cincinnati and rooting for the Bengals when Achilles Smith was drafted. So the, the Browns uh, comment – yeah, I did cover uh, the, the Indians. You get a pass. good opportunity. A little bit of Browns. You yeah. get a good opportunity. It, you got to go. It's like when I was at LSU, way, it's different. By the way, Cleveland, Cleveland's a, a good city, and I'm going to go there at the end of this month to watch Bengals and, and Browns. So there you go. All right. Browns All right. fan. I couldn't be farther, farther. From, I was never a He's a Bearcat, man. I know that. Why does somebody write on here, 6412 Mars? I don't get it because I'm not one of these, you know, guys that knows what's going on in the quote-unquote, you know, uh, ether world out there why would somebody ask the question what is this tmz what does that mean because we're talking about like will smith and the slap oh okay all right yeah fair enough fair enough 
James, thank you for your time. You're the best. And uh, I'm sorry you're subjected to some of this nonsense. It's probably very embarrassing for a man of your stature. So enjoy the game on Sunday. And we'll talk, I hope, next week. Yeah, man of my stature. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm looking for, forward you to predicting, by the way, real quick before we let you go. Prediction? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, this walk in the tough. park. This one's tough. It's not going to be a walk in the park. And, you know, it's not going to be a walk in, in, in any park. I think it's going to be really tough. Look, the last time these two teams played, Joe Burrow threw for 525 yards. And Zach Taylor won't admit it. John Harbaugh won't admit it. John Harbaugh was not happy afterwards. And you saw that in the postgame handshake. Yep. That said, I think this Bengals team has so many weapons on offense. I, I, it's, do you want to bet against Joe Burrow from taking another step? Because I think they've shown signs uh, as a passing offense. For sure. And even if the run game doesn't get going a ton, I think that the Bengals should be able to uh, beat up on this Ravens defense enough uh, to squeak out a ball tomorrow with the win. It's really hard to win three straight over any division rival. Mm -hmm. I, I think the Bengals do it 31-27. They top that 30-point mark wow. for the first time. Good game. Season. Good game. All right. There you have it from James Rapine. James, thanks for your time, sir. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Always great having him. He's dialed in. He is dialed in. Love having that guy on the show. All right. Uh, we're going to shift gears to baseball after this break, and we're going to talk to Bobby Nightingale, who's a beat writer covering the Reds for the Cincinnati Enquirer. What's next for the franchise? Nothing. Losers of 100 games in the 2022 championship season. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. And we thank them for being with us and all our many, many sponsors. We thank all of you for joining us on a daily basis. And we invite you to keep coming back and, and bringing along others for the ride. Do we have Bobby set up yet? No, not yet. All right. Coming up here in a second, Bobby Nightingale. Uh, I've known his dad a long, long time. You know, I know that Bobby doesn't care. I you know, and I've gone through it my whole life where you're introduced uh, frequently or you run into somebody, you know, like, oh, I know your dad, you know, that stuff. And, and you're proud of him uh, for everything they did, just like Bobby is of his father, legendary baseball sports writer, still is, uh, senior sports writer at USA Today um, through many, many years. And, and, and you see him all the time in Southern California back when he was covering the Padres going way, way back. Uh, and Bobby has followed in his father's footsteps. And he has done a fantastic job covering the Reds uh, for the Enquirer. You know, being a beat guy, and I'll ask Bobby about this in a second when we get him up. You know, beat writers are not columnists. And we live in a day and age, this show is certainly a very opinionated show um, on whatever it might be. And, you know, for a beat writer, that's not their job. Their job is to go out there to uh, write about what happened in the game, get reaction from players and managers after the game, so on and so forth, and just tell the story of the game. Not suggest what the Reds should do or shouldn't do or the team that they're covering should do or shouldn't do, but they just report on what happened. So if Hunter Green goes out and pitches a really good game, even though they've lost 97 games, 98 at the time, you still write about it, and uh, you talk to Hunter Green and, and, and so on and so forth. And so that's their job as a beat writer. Columnist jobs, a columnist's job is to then 
go for uh, all of that kind of thing about what should be done, what shouldn't be done. And next week, you know, we're going to visit with a guy about the Reds who certainly is more in that vein. But no one knows more about the Reds than uh, Bobby Nightingale. And still don't have him yet. Okay, there he is. There's Bobby. He's, I mean, you know, it's his first day off. I'm not going to say day off. But, um, you know, when you end a season, is Bobby there? He's turning his camera upside down. I can see him off camera. I mean, you think this guy at his age, he's so tech savvy. There he is. Bobby, what in the world is going on there, man? We got to see your handsome mug here, and it's turning upside down and sideways. How you doing? I know. I got a new laptop like a month ago. And now I can't uh, hear him. Broke on You got me? Hang on. Go ahead. Go Bobby, ahead. you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Hey, what's it like to have an off day? Yeah, it's weird. It's uh, not used to this. Although, although I'm it's still first day of the off season, so you're kind of always on the alert for news that it could still break, you know, coaching staff changes, what have you, especially after a 100-loss season. But uh, kind of weird to have nothing kind of on your schedule for a while. You know, uh, baseball is such an unbelievable grind. And I've always said that outside maybe of some of the guys that actually work in the clubhouse, uh, Rick Stowe, Mark Stowe, right on down the line, uh, his staff, all those guys, and they're there morning, noon, and night. But I, I've said as far as the media perspective is concerned, no one works harder and puts in more hours than the beat writers for a team. Um I mean, gosh, you're going back now with spring training starting earlier where you're working 10, 12, 14 hours a day, virtually every single day, starting in February. And here we are in October, and now you finally catch a little bit of a breather, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a grind of a season. Uh, you definitely feel it by the end of it, but then it's like you feel weird not having that routine after a while too. Like it's almost like I'm not used to – not not having you know having 10 hours a day to do whatever i want instead of kind of running around especially you know you arrive at the ballpark at two o'clock and you're there till midnight so it's weird kind of having that chunk of time open again well good for you and i hope you're able to enjoy it and, and get a breather uh but i have a feeling you tell me um that you're going to be getting those alerts and and uh, about stuff that's going on I, in the most simplistic form, Bobby, where do the Reds start to try and mend the wounds of, as you mentioned, a 100-loss season? Where do you think they start? I mean, I think it always, it's always going to come down to winning. You know, I, I don't think fans are really going to trust ownership, especially, you know, Phil Castellini's comments on the home opener. That casts such a cloud, kind of, I feel like, over the entire season. Um, and now, you know, they fans have been through rebuilds before and they haven't turned into playoff series wins. I mean, they haven't won a playoff series since 1995. So I, I think as much as like you could see some, some positive signs, like they have three rookie starters, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft, that, you know, any team would love to have three guys under the age of 25 to lead your rotation for years to come. That's a good sign. I mean, you have Jonathan India, Tyler Stevenson. Those are two position players that should be around for years to come. Um, and, and can make an impact in any lineup. But the fact is, you know, you can say we have a top five farm system. You can say we have all these top prospects that will be on the way soon. But until they do it in the big league, that I, I think uh, fans are going to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and 
um, uh, it's going to take a while to earn that trust again. I mean, you look at attendance this year, it was down a million fans compared to more than a million fans compared to 2015. Uh, you know, so that, that just shows you kind of how much the trust has kind of eroded over the years. You know, I, I want to get back to something you said there uh, uh, about minor league guys. And, and, and you know, I, it's been my stance and, and, and my old broadcast partner, who was a World Series winning manager, Bob Brenly, uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He used to get asked all the time during the course of a season, good season, bad season, whatever it might. He didn't have any bad ones as a manager. Uh, but. But, you know, he'd be asked by guys, oh, what about this guy in the minor leagues? And what about this guy in single A? What about this guy in double A? And he'd always use a line, not in a way where people would, should go off the reservation, but he'd always say, you know what? To me, those guys are dead guys. And what he means is they do, they're doing nothing for the major league team right now. And you've been around, Bobby, despite your youth. You've been around a long, long time. Uh I don't know about you. I, I don't get wrapped up in all this minor league system stuff because, like you said, um, some guys you hope and pray make it. Most of them are not going to make it. And, and, and so, you know, okay, so you got the number three farm system. I guess that's something you can hang your hat on. But, but their best players, and you correct me if I'm wrong, their best prospects are guys that are single-A, double-A guys. I mean, th th these aren't guys that are going to make an impact on the 2023 season. Is that, is that safe to say? I mean, I think if they do get called up, it'd probably be second half of the year. And it's also, you know, kind of get your feet wet. I mean, I wouldn't expect them to come in and light the world on fire right away. Um, but I will say, you know, Ellie De La Cruz, he's their top prospect. I've heard from at least, you know, probably five or six scouts that say he's the best minor leaguer they've seen this year. Um, so, I mean, he, he's, he's probably the most kind of, legit talent they've had in a while, just kind of a, a superstar. Um, but, they, you know, you said the same thing about Nick Senzel, same thing about Jose Barrero, and those guys haven't panned out as expected. Um, so, I mean, going to your point, I mean, the prospects, until they start contributing, it's hard to say they amount to anything. Um, you mentioned India. Um, and, look, I, I, I'm the first to admit, and I talk about it on this show all the time, I, I just don't watch a lot uh, anymore. But I do read a lot about it. And I saw where some of the metrics, it might even been something you pointed out, um, that India defensively is not regarded as a very good defender at second base. Senzel is not regarded as a very good center fielder defensively. Um, do you suspect, and Senzel's already been through multiple position changes, do you suspect that some of these guys are going to have position changes looking ahead to next year? Yeah, I mean, I think like Nick Senzel, they, at the end of the season, they, they never moved him from center field, but they started to have him take more ground balls uh, kind of in uh, preparation for next season where it would be like, okay, if we get a center fielder and they don't really have anyone at the moment that you would say is your starting everyday center fielder. But if they do get someone like that, um, I would be shocked if he turned into a utility guy where he spent maybe playing five days a week, but playing a different position playing a lot of third base, second base, kind of moving around. Um, India is still the second baseman, but, I mean, he just – it was a tough year for him. I mean, he dealt with injuries all year. Um, he admits he kind of got away from some of the stuff he was doing his rookie season. If he has another – say he has a bad start to next year defensively, I wouldn't be shocked if they said, okay, then maybe we try to move him to the outfield. Um, but that's also maybe you wait till a prospect comes and kind of forces your hand. Because uh, they do have a lot of – if you look at, like, their top prospects – 
like five or six of them are all shortstops. Right. And so eventually those guys are going to have to move to different positions. And, you know, second base is an obvious one. So I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, India has the bat where he could play any – he could be in the lineup at any position. Um, but he, he's got to improve at second base next year if he wants to remain the everyday second baseman. You know, Bobby, I sit there and I look at their everyday lineup, and, and because of a contract, uh, we know that Votto is going to come back and play first base. Good Lord willing, he gets through all that kind of thing, and he's healthy again. And, and what will be, I think it's safe to say, his final year um, of this contract, it'll be his final year as a Red, unless he wants to take on some kind of different role uh, as a backup player, whatever it might be. And who knows, maybe he still has something left in the tank for another year. I don't know. Um, but, 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 but Bobby, are they going to have to go out or is it even conceivable that they go out to start putting players on the field for next year? Because as you start looking at guys who really either, you know, in India's case, you just pointed out he didn't have a good year. Stevenson, it seems like the kid can never get on the field. He's hurt all the time. Farmer, I think, was a, was a solid player, solid leader, all those kinds of things. Senzel, uh, you, you know, look, I, I, I'd, have, I'd have cut ties a long time ago. But what, I guess what I'm asking you is, who's going to play next year in the field for this team? Yeah, and I think that's the scary part is you look at how they finished the year. I mean, there was no thump in the offense. They weren't scoring runs. Uh, you know, they went the final two weeks of the season without scoring more than three runs in a game. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of those guys could be a part of your starting offense beginning next year. Um, because, I mean, you look at it, if you're in a rebuild, you can't block your prospects. Um, I think that's where they kind of ran into trouble when you, you started moving around. Like Nick Senzel came up as a third baseman. Jonathan India came up as a third baseman. Well, both of them were blocked by Eugenio Suarez. Um, when Nick Senzel got called up, he was blocked from even playing second base by Scooter Jeanette. Um, so, I mean, it's one of those things I, I, I think they're very cognizant. You can't uh, block all those guys. Now, I could see them signing guys like Donovan Solano. He was on a one-year deal. Yep. Tommy Pham was on a one-year deal. I could see them kind of doing that route again where they sign guys. If they have great seasons, uh, maybe you trade them at the trade deadline. If not, um, at least it's only a one-year commitment. But I don't, I don't think they're going to go out and make this big impact in the free agency or the trade market this offseason. Um, David Bell. He has a year left on his contract um, and his coaching staff. Uh, those guys are all year-to-year -year deals, most of them anyway. Um, do you suspect that there will be changes in the coaching staff and or the manager? Or, look, they just didn't have the players and there's only so much you can do? I think there will be changes um, just based off the fact, I mean, you're, you're coming off 100 losses. So I think you have to – I don't think you can say status quo and say – you know, I, I know the front office did with ownership cut payroll. Front office traded a lot of guys. They had dealt a bad hand. Um, but also you saw how they played in September. That wasn't a good sign. They lost 20 of their last 26 games. Um, so I, w I wouldn't be surprised if there's changes to the coaching staff, um, just based off the fact that after a 100-loss season, there usually are changes to a coaching staff. Um, and, and David Bell, I mean, he, he – I think what helps him is he has a farm director background. That was the position he was in with the Giants right before he was hired. Um, and now if you're looking at, okay, next year it might not be a great team. We're going to have a lot of young guys, a lot of prospects trying to break into the majors. You're going to kind of need that kind of mentality. I mean, it, 
I, I don't think any manager could come in next year and say we're a World Series contender uh, with the roster as is. So um, I, I think next year it's going to kind of be based off of how much can you develop guys versus let's win 90 games and that will determine your job status. Um, as far as the, 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 the ownership situation, and you pointed out what happened on opening day, and I'm not going to relive that whole stuff, but um, how much of that filters down, Bobby, in your private conversations with some of these guys, if at all, uh, as to you know, what's going on, quote-unquote, upstairs? Uh, a little bit, but I think most of it, I mean, ownership, cutting payroll, all the trades, that definitely filtered down. Um, I was talking to Jonathan Indy about it after yesterday's game. Um, their first meeting in spring training, their first team meeting, got canceled um, this spring. Right minutes beforehand, they traded Jesse Winker, A. Eugenio Suarez to the Mariners, and it killed the clubhouse. I mean, absolutely, the mood shifted, and then the next day or day after, they traded Amir Garrett. And it kind of turned into, okay, who, who, how deep are we going to go? How many guys are going to tr- get traded? Uh, Jonathan India pointed out, he's like, guys were looking to me like I was a veteran, and I was just in my second year. But that just tells you, uh, you know, kind of how nerve-wracking it was. He goes, hey, it was just me and Kyle Farmer. It felt like alone for a while. Um, and so, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, kind of eyes open, like, okay, this is the business side. Ownership is going to keep cutting payroll, it seems like. Um, and, and that's a frustrating thing for players because they want they want to be competitive. They want to contend for World Series titles. And um, I, I think that's probably the biggest frustration I sense is just they're not a, they're not putting out a, as competitive a team as they could be, especially last year. 83 wins. First team out of the playoff picture. We're in the wild card race till basically the last week of the season. And then the next year you lose 100 games. I mean, that's a that's a huge turnaround. Um, Joey Votto is going to be in the final year of this contract. He made the comments after watching Albert Pujols, you know, catch a second and third and fourth and fifth wind. I mean, it, it really was unbelievable what Pujols did the second half of the year compared to what he did. I mean, he looked like he was done in June. And he is going to retire, that we know. But he became an integral force in that Cardinals lineup and then just running away ultimately – uh, with the division, um, Votto is is he, he, he's shown so much of his personality here in the town. He's gone to a lot of high school football games. He's gone to some college football games, all that kind of thing. Uh, coming up in the booth, stuff in the stands, blah blah blah. Um, do you think uh, that that this is it for Votto? I know his contract says this is it for Votto, but do you think this is it in Cincinnati for Votto? He doesn't want it to be, and I, I do think he values, you know, being with one team his entire career. I, I do think that carries a lot of sentiment. I can't see the Reds in any way picking up. I think it's twenty million after twenty twenty three. You have next year, and then after twenty twenty four, would be a twenty million dollar option, unless unless he puts together an MVP level season. Um, I, I can't see the Reds even thinking about doing that. Um, so it definitely could be, um, and, and I think he still has desire to play if he has a good season next year. I think the biggest comfort in his mind was last year, he was really good, um, especially the second half, kind of like Pujols this year, dominated. And then this year, didn't look like himself, you know, was struggling to hit fastballs, was struggling to hit for power, and then finds out torn rotator cuff, torn bicep. I think that was a relief in his mind saying, okay, it's not, I was I struggled all year and it's because I'm old and because I can't hit. 
but it was directly injury related. It's kind of amazing he played as long as he did for uh, on the, with torn uh, rotator cuff and torn bicep. Um, but yeah, definitely. I, I I think you go look you go into next year saying okay, this is probably Joey Votto's last year as a Red, if not entire career, and then it's up to him to determine with his performance um, if he can continue doing that. Um, last question I want to ask you about, uh, Hunter Green. Everybody reads and, and watches when he's throwing, you know, more 100-mile-per-hour fastballs than any pitcher in the history of the game over the course of a season. Um, he, he's come all the way back from the Tommy John. Give us a little insight, Bobby, on what kind of kid he is. Uh, he, he seems to handle himself with, with uh, you know, a lot of savvy and smart and all those kinds of things, but – what, what, what kind of kid is Hunter Green? Because we haven't gotten to know him yet. He hasn't been around long enough in Cincinnati to get to know him yet. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the most polished. I think he just turned 23, 23-year-old I've ever covered. Um, just really a guy who you can tell has kind of been in the public eye. I mean, he's on a Sports Illustrated cover in high school. Um, so he's kind of used to all the media attention. He's used to everyone talking about his fastball. Um but inside the clubhouse, I mean, he's a, he's a young guy who wants to get better, always talking to teammates, always asking for advice for guys, uh, from guys, just trying to pick up things. Like last offseason, he worked with Sonny Gray, he worked with Marcus Stroman, uh, works with a lot of guys in Los Angeles. So he, he's a guy that goes around to other big leaguers, asks for a lot of advice, whether on, they're on his team or not. Um, he, he, he knows, obviously, his fastball is kind of what got him here. Um, but he, he's also a guy who he wants to be great. He was the youngest pitcher in the major leagues this year. And the way he finished, I mean, that's that's a lot of excitement for going into next year, the way he his last seven or eight starts with an ERA, I think it was below two. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of excitement from him, just the way he finished, um, a lot of curiosity, but just also really polished, just the way he comes off to the media, uh, well-spoken, really focuses on like he, he focuses on the right things too i think uh, good you know this year was about development um also really good about giving back to the community i think he already has a scholarship fund at his old high school i mean what 23 year olds are doing that so i mean it, it's it, it's impressive uh, kind of beyond his years um so far so him and lodolo and ashcraft uh and they all have dealt with their you know uh, bumps in the road as young pitchers do whether it be from a production standpoint or an injury standpoint, um, those guys are. Uh, would you categorize those guys as grinders? You just alluded to Hunter Green and picking the, the the brain of other guys and wanting to get better and talking to teammates and that kind of thing. It, would you say, generally speaking, that's a makeup of all three of those guys? Because I, I think that's an important part of being great at anything. Are, are they grinders? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think. You have to remember, too, I mean, not really any of those guys have a ton of minor league experience. Like Graham Ashcraft had the most, but he was a six-round pick. Uh, Lodolo was the first pick, first pitcher in his draft class. Hunter Green was the number two pick in his draft class. Um, and Nick Lodolo pitched less than 70 innings in the minor leagues. Hunter Green only had one full season in the minor leagues. Um, so I think it's part of, that, part of that, too, is like, okay, we, we made it up here really quick. Um, and there's a lot of things we don't know, and I think that was kind of apparent early on when all three all three of them kind of struggled in their first few starts in the big leagues, and it was like, okay, we got to learn here. Um, we got to do everything we can to pick things up from other guys. Um, and I, I think grinders is an appropriate term, just the fact that um, they're kind of all three baseball rats, that type of thing, like always 
kind of talking to each other. I think it helps to have three guys that um, are rookies and can kind of go through the same things together instead of at different timetables. Um, so that's important to them. But, yeah, I, I think baseball grinders is a good term for them. Okay, good. Uh, Bobby, we thank you for your time. I know it's your first day off in quite a while. Go enjoy it. Uh, I'm sorry to bother you today. I, I was so, I mean, I know the grind, not like you, your grind, but, but, but knowing the full season and you, you're barely even uh, catching your breath and you got some clown like me asking you to come on. I appreciate the time and, and, and uh, enjoy your off season. Yeah, thanks. No, I enjoyed this. Thanks for having me on. Uh, glad to join anytime. All right, good. That's Bobby Nightingale, Cincinnati.com. You know, I'm a subscriber to that. I'm an old newspaper guy at heart. I like feeling the newspaper and all that kind of thing. But, you know, you can't do that much anymore. And, 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 and online, you can get all the stuff. One thing I wanted to ask him about, and I, I think this is really important, um, about, you know, are, there, are, are, are some of the young players feeling like, and this is pointed out by a number of, uh, of our viewers, uh, Don says, you know, when Hunter Green really starts to become elite, he'll be traded. That is not something you want to have your franchise known as. And really, the Reds have not been that, uh, historically speaking. They really haven't. Um, you know, when Winker wasn't one. You guys always hurt. I mean, and I love Jesse Winker as a guy, but I mean, even in the playoffs, you know, now he's got a bad neck. And God bless him. I hope he comes back. If they get to the ALCS or the second round, uh, I hope he's able to come back. But but Winker was hurt all the time. Suarez was doing this. Um, and, and you can't love anybody more than I love Suarez as a guy. I mean, what an awesome dude. Um, I didn't like the Sonny Gray trade too much. We've talked about that before, um, especially at $10 million a year. You know, I mean, that that's – as bargain as it gets. Castillo, they they weren't going to sign him. They weren't. They weren't going to sign him uh, to a long-term deal. Seattle just did. Good for him. Uh, what are your thoughts there, man, after hearing that interview with uh, Bobby Nightingale? Well, I think the uh, the first thing when you go to a 100-loss season is you think back to opening day. Um, and I think that you asked about the trust with the fans, or maybe he said it as well. I don't know when or if the ownership group will get that trust back. You know, winning fixes everything. So if they come back in three years and have a team that goes to the NLCS, that'll change everything. But I, I don't think there's a lot of confidence in the fan base right now. Yeah, I would just say, like, if we're trying to bank on a 2023-2024 reemergence, then you're not doing professional sports right. It's all about winning now. Uh, Baseball's a little different. I, I, with, yeah, I, I get it, but like that's not what the fans want. They, they want a winning product now, and until that happens, and they don't even know if it's going to happen. They're, I, they're you know, I, on. I, you know, I, I got to tell you, um, and, and it's something that his that I have thought about for a long time because I was blessed enough and fortunate enough to grow up around the Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati. New Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez, all of them. All of them, starting at 10 years old. Um, but I have to tell you, you know, we, we asked the question uh, in, in a little you know, poll we do here online about a Cincinnati, a football town, and a baseball town. And, and, and I'll tell you something for me. I've always said it's a football town. Doesn't mean that the Bengals are any good. 
Because a lot of years, they, they have been brutal. For decades, they've been brutal. Not anymore. But when you think about the fact that the Reds, and he touched on attendance, down 1.2 million from where they were just a few years ago. Even in the heyday of the big red machine, the Cincinnati Reds franchise has never drawn 3 million fans in a season. Not one single time. You talk about putting a product on the field. That was the greatest product to put on the field, arguably, in the history of Major League Baseball. They never drew 3 million fans. So, look, you know, this is that, that chicken and the egg thing. And I'm not defending ownership in any form or fashion because this is an ownership group that didn't give me a check second chance after I made a mistake, and they said hit the road. Said, hit the road. I have no ax to grind. I, I'm not upset with any of them down there. I'm really not. I'm grateful for the chance that they gave me to, to move back to Cincinnati and, uh, and raise our kids here. It, it's been incredible. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful. But I do understand their situation about, you know, which is it? The fans come, okay, and now you can spend money and, and raise the level of the team. Or you raise the level of a team and spend a bunch of money, and, and then the fans will follow. Okay? Chicken and the egg thing. But the bottom line is, there have been seasons here in this town, even under the Castellini ownership group, where they have spent a fortune down there, and fans did not come to the game. What hurt a fortune. What hurt them is the perfect... The, I'm not even talking about this year. No, no, but you look back at 2020. That's when... We were both covering the team still. They spend money on Nick Castellanos, bring in Wade Miley, Mike Moustakis. They spent all the money in the world. All the money in the world. COVID hit, and that killed business. That killed fans being able to be in the stands. Yep. And that took a huge hit financially, which I understand. Last year, I will say, that place, as someone, when I was off work, I would call a couple of my buddies. We'd go down to the banks, have dinner, have some beers. Go. I probably went to 20 to 25 games on my off nights at the ballpark because they were winning. It was fun. They had the big personalities like Castellanos, Votto, Winker, everyone at that lineup was filled with what? Three, four former all-stars in it. Two all-stars that started in the outfield as I mean, it's just a night and day what you saw from last year to this year, but they were banking and I, I could be wrong and you can correct me if I'm wrong. They were banking on the window being 2020 to 2020. Those two seasons yeah were going to be the seasons they went after winning. Yep. And the team themselves on the field last year cost them that final spot that Billy or that uh, Bobby was talking about. They lost seven series in a row in the second half of the I year. Know. And they were a couple pieces away, I think, in the bullpen from being over to get be able to get over that hump. But if you just win two of those seven I series, know. you're in the postseason. See, that's the thing. The easiest thing in the world to do all the time, and again, I am in no form or fashion defending the current ownership group. I'm not. But I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and badger them like a lot of you are online. Uh, you know, I get it. Five winning seasons in the last 23 years. That, that is a viable, legitimate point. But sometimes it comes to the players and the manager and the coaches, okay? Like you just pointed out, they had enough pieces last year to do a lot better than they did. Mm -hmm. And they failed. They being the coaches, the manager, 
the players. The same thing the one year they go to the playoffs and get beat by Atlanta in the, in the, in the they uh, score pandemic. Run. They don't score a run. And they finish 500. And think of all the money they spent on that team that year. I mean, Mike Moustakis, great dude. But, I mean, a total disaster is a sign. Total disaster. They got him for another year. And I hope he, for his sake he's able to come back. But, you know, sometimes this stuff, it's just like the year in 2012. They were the best team in Major League Baseball in 2012. Oof. The best team. We got to bring it up, don't we? They go out to San Francisco. Pound them. Pound the Giants into submission. They come back here. I'm doing the games on radio, sitting there in the booth. And, and I'm looking at Hunter Pence jumping around in a dugout. And they got all this stuff going on. And uh, very first inning, Reds have a chance to jump out in game three. Brandon Phillips tries to go first to third on a wild pitch. And I love Brandon Phillips. One of the greatest Reds of all time. But again, tries to go first to third on a wild pitch. Thrown out. Rally over, Giants never look back, end of story. That That's could, not ownership's fault. No. But the, 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 I'll, I'll play both sides of it. And obviously, the interview on opening day, people think that I'm totally against the ownership group, which is on the same path as you. I'm not. I understand the business of baseball. The way the fans look at it now is, and being from Cincinnati, I can understand it, we've sat through two rebuilds, three rebuilds. Yep. It's never worked. Yep. It's never worked. So that's why the confidence in the front office and then you put together what happened on opening day. Yep. And I don't see that ballpark being full next year besides when the Cubs come into town. Opening day, you'll have your maybe sellout. It took it took it took the Castellinis doing a little marketing the last second to get people to come in this year for opening day and get that to a sellout. I think we talk about football, baseball town. I always thought growing up because of opening day and because of the history of the Reds, it was always a baseball town. It's certainly shifted to a Bengals town. I think when the Bengals go out and win and go to the Super Bowl for a franchise that everyone dogged and thought was bottom feeders for forever, and then they turn things around, and obviously football is different. You get Joe Burrow. The money's not the same as, as baseball. Everyone that's a Cincinnati fan goes, well, the Bengals just did that. Reds, we've given you a free pass for however many years because yep. of the bobbleheads, the fireworks, the yep. whatever you want it to be. We want to see a winner too. And, and Bobby brought up a good point about the morale inside that clubhouse. Well, I don't know how you could – I mean, even working for a company that, that, you know, is losing money every day or not, you know, closing deals. How could you get excited about going to work? I understand – I try to understand both sides of it. I, I just don't see – and we talked about the trust – I don't see the fans ever giving the Castellini family that trust again unless somehow in the next two to three years they put a team out there that wins. It's a fair point. I mean, it's a fair point. And, and, and look, uh, there are um, – there are uh, this is a big boy game. I mean, when you own a professional sports franchise, this is the quote-unquote big leagues. And I think this is the first time they've had to face the music in Cincinnati. A place like L.A., New York, you're going to hear it a lot more, obviously. But the Browns faced it for two decades yes, of, of a lot of losing. And the Reds, because of being the Major League's first team, having the Big Red Machine, winning the World Series in 90, I mean, there was some wiggle room. And now I think 
this is the first time they've had to face the music. And as someone that somehow got involved in the center of it with opening day with the interview with Phil, I've never wanted it to be ill will. I've never yep. wanted it to be personal. Yep. Um, I think I probably walked a line with the bit after opening day, you know, with them going one and 19 yep. and outscored this many runs of that many, but I'm a voice for the fan. And so I try to do that in a reasonable way. Um, I think it was, I just don't see unless they come out and win how fans are ever going to trust that franchise again. Well, I think that's a state of baseball too, to be honest with you. I, yeah. I, I really do. I mean, Casey, you're, you, you've admitted, you know, you're kind of new to baseball, uh, you know, again now here. Okay. Um, Don points out, Joey Votto's never had a play chance to play. I, I think he meant to say NLCS because he did play in an NLDS. He's never won a playoff game. But I mean, or a playoff know, series. I mean, Sorry, who playoff are you series. Yeah. For that, yeah, no, you can't. I mean, are you blaming ownership for all of that? The Reds in 2010, okay, uh, they win the division, they get in the playoffs. They get smoked three in a row by Philadelphia. Right. Hell, they get no, no hit. hit. Yeah. Okay. Holiday. Yeah. In 2012, we just re, you know, we've gone through that. They go to a, a, a one-game playoff, losing uh, to Pittsburgh. Look, they have the horses. Vito was part of that lineup. So don't blame ownership for Joey Vito not playing in a National League Championship Series. Okay, he played on the three or four teams that technically were playoff teams, and they didn't win a single series. In fact, in two of the series, they didn't win a single game. Philadelphia swept three in a row. Atlanta swept three in a row, and you don't score a run. That two and I'm not defending ownership, but I'm saying it's not all on ownership no. that Joey Votto has not played in the National League Championship Series. And I'm going to sound crazy here. But until last year when the Bengals made that run to the Super Bowl, that Cincinnati curse is real with sports. I know you're Oh, my Lord. Come on. Are you kidding I'm me? I'm the clown wearing a beard right now because of this nonsense. From Junior getting hurt to Kenyon Martin breaking his leg to the leads in Nashville for UC and Xavier to all that's the Reds and Bengals. Joking. Well, then Cincinnati sports choked called. for 30 years then before the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. Look. I had people tell me when I was announcing the NFL every week, there was about a three or four year time frame there where people told me the Bengals had the best roster in the NFL. Top to bottom. What with, with most the, talent. Okay. Is this Dalton or Carson era? This is during the uh, Andy Dalton, Marvin Lewis era. Yep. Okay. Best roster, top to bottom. And the other team whose name came up all the time as having a roster equal to the Bengals was Seattle, mm -hmm. what Pete Carroll had put together up there, right? Yep. That ultimately won a Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. um, they've had their chances. There's no curse there. There's no curse there. I was at the game in the pouring rain. Well, well, well you know, when you fumble the ball, at the 10-yard line just trying to put the game away and beat the Steelers. It's not a curse. That's called choking. We can agree to disagree. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on this one, Tom. I don't believe in a curse. But I'll just say that Cincinnati struggles to find talent that is worthy of making it to the big games. 
you know, there's a reason that Votto has never made it. And like we said before, it's the team couldn't hit a single ball. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you can't put out that sort of talent. And, well, first off, my one issue with the Bengals having, like, top talent is that that's wrong because they never did anything with that talent. That's right. Won. That's so, right. to me, it's like the teams struggled to put great teams together. We haven't had a great team since the Big Red Machine. Right. So, to me, it's it's just that we, we, we as fans in Cincinnati have – we, the older generation saw it, what a true championship team looks like. And we've struggled to recapture some of that magic. Again. I've watched, it's, it's tough. I've watched a VHS for 29, almost 30 years. My dad gave me of the 1990 wire to wire world series. That's what I grew up yep. thinking I was going to see. And I remember I was like seven, eight years old, the red sign junior. Yep. Like I said, Kenyon Martin, that you see your number luck. one. Kenyon Martin, I, I got you. I got you. Yeah. Both of those. I, I, I'm i eight years old going to Riverfront. Oh, we got the number one team in the country in basketball, the best player. We yep. just got Griffey to come home to Cincinnati. I thought, I'm going to see the Reds win some World Series. Win, I mean, that 2012 game, that series, I was there for all three as a fan. Yeah. That grand slam by Buster Posey might be one of the single hardest things I've watched. There's no doubt. In no do you think that 2012 roster was on paper, not what they did on the field on paper, was better than 2021 Reds? I mean, the oh yeah, not even close. That that, that 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 team in 2012. Now they had the bad luck of Cueto getting hurt in Game One, but when you had a pitching rotation that year of Cueto, Matt Latos, who was lights out. People may not have liked the guy, but mm -hmm. I mean that year and the year the year after, he was lights out Bronson Arroyo you go around the position players they won 97 games yeah I mean they, they tied for the most wins in the league with the Washington Nationals so I mean they they got it done now I think last year's team, it matter yeah I think last year's team had the potential to be that good and win 90 games or more they just didn't do it didn't I mean when, it. when you look at the names in the uh, of the lineup when you go with you know India, Vado, uh, Castellanos. I know Mustakas slow, but slow start to his hitting in Cincinnati. But you had the star power, Winker, Suarez. It was a more star power lineup, I think, last year. They just didn't produce. No, they here, didn't. They didn't. It, and, it. and look, it's not all the time on ownership. You know, I, I love a couple of these comments we're getting here today, where it says, you know. Um, you know, uh, Don says, I I'm tired of complaining about the Reds. I, I just care about them so much and want them to be good again. I want them to be awesome so badly. Um, the real spirit cat says a lot of it comes down to coaching and expectations. Um, Here's an interesting. You know, Don, uh, Jim, you know, talking about choke, choke. Um, Jim says it's called passion for the game. Look at the players who burn to be better and progress. I don't see that passion in most of the Reds, excluding some of their young pitchers. Jim, I can't address that because I'm not around the team every day. That's why I asked about uh, Lodolo and, and Hunter Green and, and, and Ashcraft, asking, are these guys grinders? I mean, I, I was around two of the greatest grinders of all time, and I talk about these guys all the time. 
But you're never going to see a team that has two guys in their starting rotation, like I saw for four years, five years in Arizona with Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. I mean to tell you, these guys, not only were they on top of their game, but there was such an incredible rivalry between the two. And I mean, one would go out, punch out, complete game three hitter, punch out 12, and Johnson would get jealous that Schilling did it, and Johnson would come back and throw nine, give up two hits, and strike out 15. It was insane for four years. Grinders. All right. I, ha- I have an interesting question to yes. pose to you both. Because um, we, we've talked about the football town versus baseball town. What is easier, creating a great football team or a great baseball team? Well, Great I think foot. it's I think by far it's football because of the salary cap. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, the Dodgers are spending this year, and they're the best team in baseball, at least in the regular season. They are spending well over $250 million for their team. And I mean, like my dad pointed out yesterday, you look at their lineup, th- there's not an out in it. I mean, a pitcher can't start navigating their way through as, as really good, smart pitchers mm-hmm. can do, where you say – Okay, I don't mind putting this guy on because I know when we get to that seven spot, they're a little weak in the seven and eight hole. And even with a DH now, nine hole. I can navigate through this lineup a little bit. The Dodgers, you can't, and it's because of payroll. And the draft and the way players get up to, I mean, you're playing in the NFL year one where you're getting kids either directly out of high school or in college ball where they're playing and they start in low A and climb their way up through the minors for two, three, sometimes even five years That's before right. you even see them play. That's it, right. I guess that brings up my next question is, like, is it really then an issue with ownership or is it an issue with how the league is structured? Well, I think it's both. I yeah. think it's both. And, and I think we've talked about this before in that, that this is, again, another ill of baseball. And if you're a member of the Players Union, you are so grateful, or at least you better be. Because I've talked about this many, many times. If you max out 10 years, okay, and you can get that either as a player or as a coach. So there are a lot of guys that say, you know, you kind of hung on for four or five years. They'll get into coaching. They'll coach four or five years. They hit the 10-year max. Um, They're making upwards of $300,000 to $400,000 minimum a year for the rest of their lives thanks to that players' union. Because they're that strong. They're that well invested and they take care of their players. I worked with Chris Spielman for years and years. I mean, who gave their heart, body, soul, mind, blood, sweat, tears more than a guy like him? Played in the NFL for 10, 12, 10, 11 years. Kind of went back and forth as his wife was dying of cancer. Um, He's getting like $1,000 a month. So to answer your question, the system with baseball is set up in such a way that, you know, the union is never going to agree to a salary cap. Even though they're watching the sport they're being paid handsomely in now go straight down the toilet because that's where baseball is going. It's going in the tank and people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear about it. They'll give you excuses or they'll point to some data, minuscule albeit, that says it's heading in the right direction. It's not. It's not because as we sit here right now, the day after a major league baseball season ended, 
there are well over half the teams in baseball that look ahead to next year. And today, a day after the season ended, they feel like their team has no chance to contend for a World Series. None. Right. And in football, how many times have we seen just in the last, I think it's six, seven, eight years, there's been at least two teams every year in the NFL in the last seven or eight years that finished last in their division one year, and the next year they won the division. Four wins. Case in point right here in Cincinnati. Four wins in 2020, 2021, they're in the Super Bowl. And how'd they do it? Good, Great drafting, mm -hmm. right? You got crappy teams, you pick high. Yep. But they did well. They got, they got the best quarterback there was out there, mm -hmm. right? Made the right choice with Burrow over Tua. Yep. Okay. And, and then you look at Chase. You look at Higgins. You look at they already had Boyd. Then you look at what they did with the defense, mm -hmm. right? They drafted some decent players, but they needed reinforcements to turn the entire defense around. They went out and bought those players. But it's a but fair playing it. field. That's and, right. And you need, you need some of your ownership to spend money, and the Browns didn't always do that. No doubt. And two to three years ago, they decided we're going to invest – in a guy like Von Bell or Trey Hendrickson or guys like that, and they spent some money. They also invested in the fans and engagement with the fans in the stadium. Well, the Reds have been great at that. Oh, the Red, yeah, the Reds have too. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's a way more fair playing field in the National Football League than Major League Baseball. Yep. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this has been fun conversation getting into this stuff because we we so rarely talk much about baseball, and and I love the game. I love the sport. Uh, I'm grateful to, I'm indebted to it uh, forever for the life it provided my family and me going all the way back to my mom and dad carrying through with my family. Uh, and, and Tracy Jones is going to join us next and we're probably going to continue some of this talking about what's next for the Reds. That's coming up next off the bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. You know, I want to get back to something uh, to, to tie a ribbon around this conversation about the salary cap. And this is something I struggle with, too. It's a great point made by Steph um, where and I'm assuming Steph is, is a guy. I, I don't know. But Steph, thank you for for watching the show. Um, Steph says, I think the salary cap is anti-capitalism. You know what, Steph? I, I wrestle with this all the time, too. I really do. Um, and, and I think you're right about that. That, you know, survival of the fittest, all those kinds of things, I agree. But, but, but here's the only problem with that is it pertains to, say, separate it from um, business. Pick a company. Doesn't matter. Apple, right? So Apple can go out and spend all the money um, and do everything that we know as capitalism to run the competition in the ground. No problem. Um, with baseball, okay, you, you look at the state of the entire product. The product is baseball. The Dodgers can try and go out and beat everybody, and they do a great job of doing that. But what happens if the Dodgers are the only team left in the world? Now, I know I'm going way out on a limb saying something like this, but you get the point that I'm making. The product overall is baseball. That's the business you're in, okay? Football has figured out, and it's why they're the king of the jungle. Believe me, do you think all of those guys that own football teams are not the ultimate capitalist in our society today? They all made billions of dollars doing something else 
involving capitalism. But they also understand that they're now in the football business. Okay? And they all just say to themselves, okay, what's the best for our business? And what has it led to? Billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars that continue to come in in every single revenue stream you look at for the NFL. It's good for business. Tracy Jones was a member of the Players Union. Uh, not drawing checks from them, I wouldn't think yet, because you're so successful in all your other business endeavors. Am I wrong on that, or are you taking a, you, your pension from them yet? You know what? I'm going to take my pension April 1st, when I'm 62, I've maxed out. I, I, it can't go any higher. This is true. I'm not messing around here. No, I know. Um, I, I, I just made a comment, Tracy. Yeah. Help me with this a second ago, because I was explaining before you came on the air about the Players Union and if you're a member of that union, I mean, it's the greatest thing in the world. And if you max out yeah. as a member of the Players Union, uh, unlike football, unlike basketball, unlike hockey, I mean, I think you guys max out at, what, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a year for the rest of your life, something like that? Now, Tom, let me correct you because there's different classes. Okay, I mean, okay. Someone in the 70s, 60s getting a lot less than players nowadays. But I think, and I, I read this somewhere, I think – the players nowadays that retire at a class nine, I think they get $350,000 a year, if you can believe that. Now, I'm getting a lot less than that, but um, I'm very happy and very appreciative to the union. And, uh, you know, I, I got cut now. I got a divorce. So my wife got, ex-wife got one-sixth of that. Uh, she wasn't playing the outfield or anything like that, but she got one-sixth of my pension, which I'm still bitter about. But you know what? She was, a, it's fine. It's fine. And, and Tom, one, one You had to go down did, that road. I did. I did. But before we start, um, that goatee that you have, I love it. I love it. Oh, and you my better God. Not, Doesn't you it look, look great? Like, he looks like a total badass. He looks like you don't want to mess around with Tom Brenneman. So it begs the question, who would win in a fight, you or Joe Buck? I was just thinking about that the other day. I don't know. He's younger than me. You know, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I mean, I do my best to stay fit. You know, I mean, I exercise every day, all that kind of thing. Yes. Um, but, but Tracy, you know me. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I know, but you look tough, though, with that goatee. And I'm well, really, get, it really does look pretty good. Don't get used to it because it's being hacked <laughs> off midnight uh, on Sunday. I hear you. Um, I hear you. You know what? We were just getting into this discussion, Tracy, before you came on about the whole, and you heard a little bit of it, I think, uh, about the whole thing with, you know, um, is it harder to put a winning product on the field if you uh, own a football team or a baseball team? And I maintain it's night and day. It's a football team. Yeah. And a big part of it, or at least a part of it, is the salary cap. Um, for the betterment of the sport and knowing the players' union, you being a member like you do, when you, you use those two words, salary cap, around guys like Scott Boris, now he's not in the players' union, but a lot of people right. think he runs a players' union. I mean, they start running for the hills. Do you think baseball is ever going to get to a point in the near future where maybe the players become open-minded to that kind of thing for the quote-unquote betterment of the product? 
they've got to do something about it because there's some great, great teams in the big leagues, right? The Dodgers, Yankees, some outstanding teams. And then there are some pitiful teams, the Reds being one of them. You know, Tom, you talked about these owners being billionaires, and they are, right? A lot of them. But if they ran their baseball teams like they do, like they would their business, they'd be bankrupt because some of the owners and some of the decisions I think are terrible and it really costs them a lot of money and it hurts them. I mean, you say that, you know, small markets can't compete, right? Well, let me ask you, how's Tampa Bay doing? How's, yeah, but how's you know what, Cleveland But, but, but you Indians know what, Tracy, doing? look, look, I get these people, especially the analytics people, when I would talk about this during games, okay, and they would scream and yell and talk about Tampa Bay. How many World Series have the Tampa Bay Rays won? The okay, answer is none. None. Okay, N-U-N, none. During the Billy they're... Bean stuff and the Moneyball stuff in Oakland, I called four years in a row their division mm -hmm. series – and I mean gone. Never won the World Series. Look at the last number of years, the teams that are playing in it, but more specifically, winning it. They are big market, big money teams. And people will say, well, St. Louis, St. Louis. St. Louis is the outlier because they sell out every night. They're a big market team. Well, I don't, I don't know how you can say that. Isn't that big market team... Don't you kind of get attendance as, as part of that mix, but also the TV revenue and some of that? Well, that's true, but, 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 but they are able they to offset. Much. So if you take, for example, let's just say Cleveland, Cincinnati, St. Louis. Okay, let's just take the – throw Tampa, even, even though Tampa is a bigger market. Okay? Okay. Those four franchises are all roughly going to get the same amount of TV money Okay, nationally, all the teams in Major League Baseball get the same. But then their local deals, say it's 10, 15, 20 million a year, whatever it is, okay, from Bally Sports, right? And all of those are on the, under the Bally Sports umbrella. They have the rights. What separates the Cardinals from the rest of those teams, Tampa Bay's averaging about 9,000 fans a game. The Reds barely cracked a million two over 79 dates this year. And Cleveland had the lowest attendance that the Indians, now the Guardians, have had since 1992. The Cardinals, meanwhile, sell out every night. 45,000, and that offsets them being a quote-unquote small market team to moving them up there in that borderline big market team. You know what See, I'm saying? You're really... You're, you're missing something, Tom, and I think it's really important because okay. we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What you're missing, and you've got to check out the Cardinals, you've got to check out Tampa Bay, and check out the young players that the Guardians have. It's called a scouting department. Fair enough. And it's called having a farm system. And when you're always feeding it, you know, you're going to have good teams. We talked about the Reds last time I was on, and I kind of did the Homer thing and I actually sounded stupid, and I think you have me on the show because I played the game. I know a little bit about baseball. Sometimes I like to, you know, do my thing. But you made the point about position ball players of the Cincinnati Reds going forward, and I kind of, you know, pushed it to the side. You make a great point. You tell me how many position ball players they got that you'd go forward with on that team. Stevenson, that's it. We're talking about Kyle Farmer. 
talking about college, he's 32 years old. Heard Barry Larkin say, oh, you know, they ought to make him the captain. You know, I'm thinking, he's 32 years old, a journeyman, and you're going to make him a captain? I'm not taking anything away from Kyle Farmer, but that's who you're going to build the organization around? The Reds are in trouble. You know, I said Lodolo and Green, right? That's, they're not Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale. My God, I mean, I start looking at their numbers. You know, Green was five and 13. With five and 13, with a four and a half ERA, Lodola was four and seven. You brought up Ashcraft, five and six, with an ERA of five. My, my question to you, how long is this gonna to take to rebuild? Well, I mean, look, Tracy, I've been talking about the position player thing this entire season. And then, you know, last week, and I pointed out on the show today and any yeah. other day, that, you know, when you look at these defensive metrics, and I'm not a big analytics guy, but, but you know, you look at the defensive metrics, even on a guy like India at second base, uh, among the worst defenders in the league, he did Benzo. not have a good year this year. And I warned nope. everybody. As good as he was last year, we've all seen a lot of those guys through the years that have the rookie of the year, and then what happens afterwards? And he seems like a good right. dude. I'm rooting for him. Uh, but he didn't have a good year. Uh, Senzel, uh, not a good outfielder. Um, I think you pointed out I heard on a radio show the other day. What, second pick in a draft or whatever it was? Second. You, you can't miss on that pick. And they missed on you the pick. You can't miss. And then you had some idiot – a couple of weeks ago talking about Aquino, that he thought this guy Aquino could play. <laughs> you know, Aquino, and I actually went back and did a little research for once, Tom. I actually prepared. Hitting 197, he's almost struck out 50% of the time. And you got that idiot talking Aquino up because he hits a couple of home Who runs. was that idiot? Think, that, that was that guy that wears his hat on backwards. That's the <laughs> idiot. But, Tom, there's a silver lining in this. See, here you go there's again a, with the silver lining thing. You. you told me you weren't going to sit here and do this game again, and, and, and here you are getting ready to start, but go ahead. There's a silver lining. This team lost 100 games, right? Do you know the last time the Cincinnati Reds lost 100 games? Yes, I was a senior in high school, 1982. You got that right. And do you know what happened? They got the second player picked. It was Kurt Stilwell, number 11. He was the second player picked, and there you have your shortstop. Now, Barry Larkin came along, number 15, and pushed his way into it and moved Kurt out of, out of the city, but that was a good pick. And I remember going that 1983, it was a summer draft, and I was eligible for the draft. And I remember having this huge party at my house, right? So I'm saying all my aunts and uncles are coming in from out of town. And at that time, CNN used to have that little ticker tape going by. So you would see who was drafted. Jeff Kunkel, I think, was the first player taken. I, oh, no, Tim Belcher was by the Twins. And then Kurt Stilwell. I went 82nd player pick to the Mets. And what was crazy about that, I mean, we had just a ton of, I mean, I had all my friends. I had Craig, Bill, John, and Mike. They, all my friends were there. And as soon as it was announced that I was going to New York, New York, or to, to New York, the Mets, my mom put in some Frank Sinatra. I mean, the timing was so perfect. And she started playing and they started singing New York, New York. People are drinking beer. It was just a great time and a great. I didn't end up signing with the Mets, 
because I got into an argument with Joe McElvain, who was the, do you know that name? Yes, he was I, the of course director, I do. And he was general manager of the Mets. Yep. Said I was the most arrogant <laughs> baseball player he'd ever had contact with. Well, that's why did honest, they, if that's the case, and why did they draft you? Because I was good. Well, I understand because that, I, but I, I mean, he obviously thought you were good, but how in the world can a guy who's assigned to be the scouting director and the general manager, how can he pick a guy in the top 86 picks in the country with the tens of thousands of players that are available and then tell you after your pick that you're arrogant? Well, we didn't have any contact. I had contact with the scouts, and he was the guy that was trying to sign me. I wanted $5,000 more to sign with the Mets. And he said, obviously, Tracy, you don't want to play baseball for the New York Mets. And I said, Mr. McIlvain, it's obvious to me you've never seen me play. And that was it. He hung up on Are me. Are you serious? Said, this is, this this is really a, happened? This is a true story. And I remember my dad walking into the bedroom where I was talking to Mr. McIlvain. And my dad said, you really messed up this time. And it kind of hit, but I was so confident in my ability, right? So what happens? Here comes the winter draft, okay? Same thing at my house, right? I have no idea where I'm going. I mean, I've got my aunts and uncles, everybody's at this party, okay? Here's the winter party. I'm at my girlfriend's, and this is kind of a sad story. I'm at my girlfriend's and I'm running like a couple minutes late, right? So I'm driving down the street in my 74 Datsun truck, okay, green. It was pretty good with the shell on the back, yep. with the boot. Yeah, there's a lot of lot going on there, but I won't get into that. So I'm driving down, and who do I see? I see my Aunt Boots and Kenny and Bucky waving to me. And I'm going, what the hell's going on? They should be at my party. I walk in. Nobody's there. And I said, Mom, what happened? Where is everybody? They all went home. Party's over. You went number one in the country to the Cincinnati Reds. And that said, no party. It was already over. I went number one in the country. Can you believe that, Tom? You know, I can't believe it because I've gone back and looked at all of, you know, what you were doing in high school. And, you know, we, we know what a great athlete you were in both football and basketball. But, I mean, you know, you, you, were, you were a stallion. I mean, to be in the, the regular draft – you know, you, you're drafted 86 in the country. I mean, it, it, that's a hell of a player. What it's did your girlfriend seconds. hang on? Did she did she celebrate with you at all? I mean, nobody else did. Did she? Um, which one? Well, you just which told me you were with your girlfriend. Well, that was one of them. Yes, that was one. But but I was late to the party. I get there and the party was over. I mean, they couldn't even stick around five minutes to congratulate me. I thought that was pretty selfish, don't you think, Tom? I I think it's really bad. I think it's really bad. Um, but good things. So what I'm saying is there's silver lining. If you can lose 100 games, I, I get back to my point. You lose 100 games, you get a player like Kurt Stilwell. You get a player like a Tracy Jones. Jones and I then know. you're ready to rock and roll. That's what I'm saying. So there's always hope. If you get two players like that to build a hole in the organization, you're in good shape. <laughs> so... So O'Neal and Larkin and Davis, uh, Sabo, um, Tom Browning, 
Yeah, Tom Brown. I mean, those guys are just, you know, sort of like um, they were just pieces. Cal Daniels. Cal They're Daniels. Pieces, they were just pieces. But, but you got to start with someone. You started with you do. Tracy you do. Jones, right? You do. And just like the Bengals started with Joe Burrow. Same thing. Same thing, Tom. Well, Don reminds us the Reds get the fourth pick in the draft. But, Tracy, you know as well as I do. Man, that's a long road. Uh, for baseball players getting drafted compared to the football guys. Yes. I mean, it's like night and day, right? I mean, these guys playing now uh, at Ohio State, at Alabama, you know, Georgia. Um, you know, those kids are walking right off the field as a top number one pick or the 86th pick or the 127th pick. Um, they've been through the four years of college, playing at the highest level of college, and now they're going into the pros. Uh, I don't care where you're drafted in the Major League Baseball draft. Now, the higher you're drafted, the more chances you're going to get. But, man, that's Very a good. long road. And the Tracy, I mean, the minor leagues and the bus rides and all that kind of stuff, that, and no money virtually, that, that's, that's grinding your way to the top. It is so tough to make it to the big leagues, right? Because you get drafted in the NFL, you go straight, you get straight up to the bigs. Let's yep. say, you know, same with the NBA. But with baseball, you got to start in rookie ball. Then you go to A ball. Well, sometimes there's two. Remember, there's low and high A. Yep. Then you got double A, triple A. When I was first signed, my take home paycheck was $232 every two weeks. Now, how in the hell are you going to live on that, Tom? It's, it's tough. What are your thoughts about the minor league players unionizing? This is a story that nobody's paying attention to, man. And, and I made the comment the morning it happened three, four weeks ago. This is a move that has Park Avenue, the Park Avenue offices of Major League Baseball, shaking in their boots. I don't know if you've had a chance to think much about this. What do you think this means? I have, because I've always felt that they should take, Major League Baseball should take care a little bit the minor leaguers, right? As far as, you know, where are you staying? How about increasing meal money? Meal money when I played was $10 a day. That's what we got. And I, I think it's about time. There's so much money in baseball. We talk about the teams that aren't making money and all that, but they're still making money. They're, they're, there's still money to be made. And to give some of these minor leaguers a place to stay and a little bit more meal money, I think is a good idea because it's just too tough to go through the minor leagues. I mean, you're having to send home for money all the time. Uh, I, I know I had to do that. It's just tough, but it is a lot of fun in the minor leagues. I will say that. Um, I want to shift gears real quick because I'll ask you from time to time, because I know you're a big football guy. I know you follow the Bengals, that kind of thing, you know, uh, but you're also a guy who's up and at them. I mean, 536A, working out, getting the, you know, everything going on in the markets, excuse me, and all that kind of thing. Will you be having a party at your place on Sunday night for the Bengals and the Ravens? It's supposed to be a beautiful night. You know, you can open up that big patio door at your, your condo, all that kind of thing. Have, have you thought about having a few of us over at all? You know what? I'm sorry. I'm actually going to be out of town. Where are you um, going? I'm going to be, well, I'm going to Cancun, Mexico. Uh, very nice. It's an all-inclusive place, uh, adults only, all-inclusive, though. Uh, Casey and Brandon, you probably don't know what that means, all-inclusive. Tom, can you explain those guys, those poor bastards, what all-inclusive means? <laughs> 
Well, it means basically for for you and I assume you and Danae are going. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So yes, we basically go. what it means for you two is, is that you go to this beautiful place and I have no doubt, Tracy, it is the best of the best knowing you and your income yes. level and all that kind of thing. I mean, as nice <laughs> as it gets, you walk basically right out of your place onto the beach. Uh, if you walk over uh, to have breakfast, it's at this beautiful setting. You don't even have to sign a check. Inclusive. It's all inclusive. You two are sitting around a little bit later in the day, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying each other's company. Wants a giant bottle of Grey Goose. That's right. You want to just you take it right from Grey behind the bar, and, do whatever uh, he wants. You know, whatever. I mean, you just right there, you order it up, and they just hand it to you. Right? And I want to just say the answer is yes. I know what you're thinking. Clothing optional. And I know that's that's at these resorts. When in Rome, Tom, there's nothing wrong with that. I like to be naked sometimes. And I, I go to a place like, like I said, there's no kids. So there's nothing like that. But I do walk around, go to the beach where um, clothing is optional. Now, there's no way much. you're going to an inclusive resort with other adults and clothing is optional. Come on. I, I do. And you're probably saying, you know, Trace, you're 61 years old. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, Danae's very proud of me. She's very proud. One, she married a major league baseball player. And I will say this, my nickname in high school was the tripod. So just, <laughs> I'm all right with this. I, I do got a question. I thought you were going to join the show. Weren't you going to join the show in Cancun? Oh, yes, Where? I will be. I will, and I'll wear clothes. I'll, I'll, I won't disrespect Chad. Yeah, is, I, I will be wearing. This is, this is a wool-free show. Yes, yes. Tom, you look. Cat got your tongue. I'm still. I'm still. Uh, that was a Get shocking a blow. Your nickname. Uh, you had not shared that with us yet. Uh -huh. um, oh, a lot of things I haven't shared. <laughs> oh, we got plenty of time. We got eight minutes left today. The tripod in high school. Uh, listen, I don't want to get into details. A high school nickname, I you know. <laughs> You're really not going to a place where clothing is. I mean, I've been to inclusive resorts, both with right. just Polly and me, uh, and then been on on a couple of them with the kids. Right? You know, very different mm. atmosphere, no question. But in Cancun, clothing optional? Really? Oh, for sure. Come on, Tom. I mean, what, what, you must be going to a higher school. level of kind of place that, that, that I was the able whole to go place to. Is, and it isn't hedonism, which I'm sure you've gone before. It's not like that, but there is a, a, an optional part. And what's good is there's no kids. Right. I don't want to vacation with a bunch of brats. I don't want to go to the buffet and have some kids stick his sticky little fingers in the potato salad. Right. We don't want that. So it's just adults. We're going to have a good time. We're meeting some friends down there. Uh, I don't know if I know we're meeting some friends and I know the couple. I sure hope she keeps her clothes on. But it, it, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> you ever notice? You ever notice at these places? <laughs> Do <laughs> you ever notice in these places, the people that should keep their clothes on yes. are the ones taking it off? Yes. I recall vividly one of, one of the most 
One of the, 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 a moment of my life I will never forget as long as I live. My best friend growing up, his father, the whole family is from New York City. I mean, they were New York, New York as it gets. And his dad was the head of the FBI for the entire mm -hmm. region. The Cincinnati office here later became head of the FBI in New York City. Awesome family, the O'Rourke family. So when um, we were growing up, he invited me to come to New York to visit. I had never been there before and to go back there and stay with his family. So we go back there and somebody in his family had a house on a place called Fire Island. I've never forgotten oh, yes. this as long as I live. And I, I think I was about eh, 13, 14, maybe younger than that. 14, that sounds about right. And, um, and so we go to this house, beautiful house, right on the beach, lots of families around, whole nine yards. And my buddy says, hey, we gotta go take a walk down the beach. Well, we go through this stretch where for about a half a mile, there's nobody there. And I'm wondering, what's going on here? Why is there nobody yeah. here? Well, then we walk about another quarter mile, and that's when you got down to the part of the nude beach. And yeah. I remember thinking to myself, you know, as, you know, as a 14-year-old and testosterone and all those things are running through your mind and your body. Um, but, 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 but then, but then... Mm -hmm. There was a part of you that was sickened for that very reason that you just point out. You say to yourself, who looking like that would be out here without their clothes on the beach? But how many people really have a good body, if you think about it? I mean, if you look at people naked, it's really, you know, not many people look good. Not many people look like a, a Major League Baseball player with a nickname Tripod, right? <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> So it is shocking, though, when you see some of these people. And I, do you want me to send any photographs back or anything? <laughs> no, to the blog? definitely, definitely no. not. No. no postcards. I don't want any of us to be so humble. You know what I mean? But I will. I'll be on Tuesday and Thursday. OK, from Cancun. It's actually the Royalton. And I will be wearing clothes. OK, I can't tell you. I might be a little loopy. That's OK. But uh, I, I get we'll, it. We'll do a good. We'll have a good show. So, I mean, this is a big league. To, to wrap it up, this is a big league joint you're going to, right? I mean, the, 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 the big, big leagues, right? Yeah, this is, this is no Ham and Egger place. I mean, this is, there's a big difference. I mean, um, well, I, give me one Jason example Brandon, of, of like the difference between. There'll be going, no Coors Light there, obviously. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean there's not a that? lot of guys like me, beer drinkers, that kind of crowd hanging out there, not that sort of thing. I'll tell you what they have. The last night. They have it two nights, actually. They have a lobster fest where it's unlimited lobster tails on the beach. Now, how cool is that? I had seven, I swear to God. They weren't they weren't Australian lobster tails. Uh, Casey Brandon, that's the bigger lobster tail. I know you probably never had lobster, but it's very expensive and tough to get. <laughs> so yeah, I had like seven lobster tails. And they actually got a little mad too, because that, you know, that's a lot of, it's a lot of lobster, but it's very high. King crab legs, you like that? Love it. Now, now, Casey and Brandon, I know you're used to snow crab at, you know, <laughs> lobster fest, all that kind of stuff. These are bigger, more meat. Is that anything like a crawfish or anything like that? <laughs> yeah. Down the pond? It's exactly like a crawfish. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's exactly. You got it right. Well, Tracy, when are you going down there? Are you going down there this weekend? I'm leaving tomorrow at 8 o'clock. You know what's kind of tough, though? I got to <laughs> take my dog and put him in the kennel. 
Oh, you're like not to, doing. You're I not love, doing that. You're not yeah, doing. Yeah, I'm that. one of those. You don't guys. have somebody to stay with. How big's a dog? He's eight pounds. I hate to do it. I love Tucker. Take him to Marty's. Why don't you take oh, him over to my probably. dad's house? He's got uh, yeah, but, little Millie running around there. He'll give here's him a, the problem. Give him a walk. He's got cats. And you know those cat people. You know, yeah. cats, first of all, are, yeah, you can't trust a cat person. So yes, I would you, never yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah. Uh, you should have no, told I, me I, you could bring your dog over. You bring uh, uh, Hunter over to our house. Tuck, I mean, we got, we got yeah, dogs tuck. running around everywhere. We got one that's blind and 14 years old, and another one's got OCD. Well, I don't need to, I don't need Tucker to see that stuff. We're, we're, we don't want to get that. But he has his own suite with a TV. How cool is that? Because you can afford that. That's right. I wasn't going to say it, but it's the truth. Okay. Is he getting lobster at the, at the dog, at the uh, kennel? No, but he gets plenty of treats. I mean, <laughs> bags of treats. You know those, like, uh, the, the uh, bacon bits? You know, he's got the bacon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And the pepperoni. Loves pepperoni. He likes cheese. I might get him some Indian food. He likes tiki marsala. That's right. <laughs> well, get him Indian food when he's staying at the kettle, not when he's staying at your house. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly the bad right. boiler might be working there. That's exactly right. <laughs> Tracy, have a safe trip down there. Uh, we look forward to... Um, to our next visit, maybe you can set up the computer or whatever out on the patio, you know, overlooking the beach and, oh, and kind of give us a little taste of what's going on down there. Ooh, a lot of nice senoritas down there, too. A lot of clean heinies. A lot of them. <laughs> I better go. Yeah, I, I think I that's go. a very good idea. Safe travels, my guys. friend. All right. See you, boys. See you next week. You Can't next wait. Week. Oh, my God. Oh my! So God. just waste up to be safe on the old uh, oh interviews and cranking a little bit, you know, just to make sure. Oh my God! Mm. Okay, I got a cherry on top for you. Do we have it? Oh, we got it. So our cherry on top, presented by uh, United Dairy Farmers. Brandon, set this up for me, please. Well, apparently it's from your neighborhood. We had a guy named Ryan Webster send this in. Hell of a throw from 50 yards out. What do you mean in my neighborhood? What does that mean? I don't know. That's a, he emailed us, said, Tom will recognize this spot from our neighborhood. Cheers to the show. Loving it. From Ryan Webster. All right. I, know, I, I do know Ryan Webster. Okay. Well, what, so what is it? He's long toss into a... You I know guess, what? Now I'm going to tell you about Ryan Webster. I, I, I blanked on a second there. This guy is a very successful business guy. Um, I don't know him well. I ran into him walking the dogs, and then I ran into him at UDF couple days ago he's a very successful business guy branding guy marketing guy all this kind of thing he has incredible incredible ideas for our show and and, and we've incorporated some of those for this show and 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 this this guy's a really good dude i don't know him well just starting to get to know him a little bit but i want to see what this is let's see it yeah here we go 60 yards to the cannon you ready You gotta be kidding! No! No! Right, Kids love it, trick shots. dude. This is a gun. This guy's yeah. got. You ready? Look at this. I mean, that's letting it go. 
He had to have some oh, practice, man. obviously. He had to have a warm-up Dude, routine and get after it. That was great. That is impressive now. And I don't say that because he lives in my neighborhood. I mean, you can hear the – listen to it off his fingertips. You hear that? Yeah, the pop. That oh, pop. Man. That's unbelievable. Yeah. What a throw. I well, got to give it up. He, he emailed us that uh, last night, I think. So, big thanks to Ryan for emailing that in. Our cherry on top. That is fantastic. Um, so, Ryan, thank you. I, I, I mean, that guy – look, when you get to be my age – and, you know, I mean, I coached my son's baseball forever. I mean, I can't throw from here to uh, 20 feet from here anymore. Hey, your hair is white. What do you expect? Well, I, know my, I mean, my shoulder, is just, I just can't throw at all anymore. I can't. After throwing thousands of batting practice, you know, and like I say all the time, I was such a great baseball coach. All the kids I coach play lacrosse now. But, <laughs> it, I mean, I, I really can't. So to see a guy, now he's younger than me, but to see a guy throw a ball, I mean, that, that had to be – 40, 50 yards. He claimed right 60. There. He claimed 60 yards. He claimed it. I believe it. It, lo it looked every bit of that. Good for you, Ryan. That's great stuff. Um, gentlemen, tomorrow's a big day. We're running a little over today. That's my fault. Huge day tomorrow. Picks. Picks day. Picks day. Picks day. So we thank all of you for joining us. We thank Casey McAllister, Brandon Seho. We thank Trace Fowler, our executive producer. We thank all of you for watching. Our show's growing. We need you, though. We'll see you tomorrow.